Welcome to Way Family Church. This is our sermon podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek God through His Word. We invite you to join us in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We would love to meet you. Or you can also visit us online at wayfamily.church. It is so good to be together in the house of the Lord. Amen. In the name of the Lord, meaning we are here because of Him. We are here because of what He has done for us. We are here because we're seeking Him. We're here because He's worthy of all honor, glory, and praise. Amen? So today we continue our series in Esther. We just started it last week. And last week we uh, were introduced a little bit to the picture, the scene that we're in here. And the scene was King Ahasuerus, who we also know as King Xerxes. He's essentially throwing a show-off session here. He's invited all of the crucial leaders of Persia and media to come and to see his glory. He's essentially saying, yo, look at me, I'm awesome. But we have seen that only God is awesome, amen? And so today we continue... Having set the scene, having seen the wonderful and beautiful things that define this person's kingdom, this person's palace, which was Susa at the Citadel. And so the story continues. We kind of left it off at a little bit of a cliffhanger last week with verse 9 of chapter 1 in Esther saying, Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus or King Xerxes. So we're introduced to the queen. Queen Vashti. Today we're going to see a little bit more about who she is and why, is it, why this is important. Why is it important that we, that we read that she also was involved in her own way? Now, uh, doing a little bit of research history here in regards to Persia and their festivities, usually Persia was very in, uh, involving and including of the wives and the women uh, within all of their festivities. But in this particular, par- excuse me, particular case, it is thought that they were separated because of the vast amount of people that showed up to that particular f- uh, uh, celebration. And so Vashti was hosting the women and Ahasuerus or Xerxes was hosting the men. And so that's where we left off. And so we'll kind of put that there for now. Now, have you guys, or I'm sure you have heard of Queen Victoria. Are you familiar with Queen Victoria? Yes? Super popular uh, British queen, right? Uh, she uh, reigned the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland from 1837 through 1901. Super famous queen. In fact, the reign of her, the, the reign that she ruled, right, well, almost 64 years, is known as the Victorian era because of the kind of influence that Queen Victoria had. She was extremely influential, in fact, because so many looked up to her, several traditions were commonly adopted because, again, of her influence. For example, most brides in those days would go out and they would pick the most celebratory, colorful dresses they could find, and that was their wedding gown, right? Queen Victoria is excited about her wedding to Prince Albert, whom she loved, and she decides to wear a white gown. Guess what happened? Today, that is the standard color of a bride's dress. Thank Queen Victoria. She's the one who set the trend. Did you know that? There's another thing that she did. Uh, Queen Victoria, again, married Prince Albert, who was of German descent, and the Germans had a tradition of decorating a evergreen tree. However, in England, and 
the British Empire or the kingdom, uh, they didn't do that. They would actually just celebrate by decorating their homes with holly or mistletoe, just like this. So this was the traditional decor for Christmas. However, Queen Victoria, with the desire of honoring her German husband, whom she loved, decided she would decorate a tree. What do we do today? Most of us decorate a Christmas tree because of the influence that Queen Victoria had, okay? There's another thing, Christmas cards. Did you know that that's also Queen Victoria influence? She decided, I'm going to make and write cards to all of my friends and loved ones, and I'm gonna send them to them. Seasons greetings, Merry Christmas via cards. And so she sends Christmas cards today. Most of us send the Christmas card as well. This was Queen Victoria's great influence over those who watched her. Now, you've probably noticed that recently a new king was crowned, right? And the coronation of a new king or a new queen or something like that is a big deal. Everyone's watching. I don't understand this, but so many people actually care what the royals are doing. I personally don't understand this, but for them it means something, right? They, they want to know what's going on. They're keeping an eye on prince this, princess that, and whatever they're doing, for some reason people follow that trend. Now, I, mu I must admit there are people that I do imitate. There are those who I think, man, that I want to be like that person. And so there are things that I imitate from others. So I think that we all instinctively do that, right? But the fact of the matter is that some leaders are very influential, super influential. You think about who influences our lives today. For adults, it could be people like political leaders. It could be people like different pastors or teachers, etc. politicians, who knows what you're into, maybe chefs, cooks, whatever. For kids, it's people that they find on YouTube, some gamers, some philanthropists, etc. But there's always someone who's influencing someone else, right? And so likewise, eyes were also set on Xerxes and on his wife Vashti. They were the most popular couple in the world at the time. And last week, we mentioned very little about this Persian queen. Who was she? What was she? Uh, why was she worth mentioning? And why was it especially worth mentioning that Queen Vashti also gave a feast for those or for the women in the palace that belonged to King Xerxes? And now, let me just give you again a little bit of background because we're still in, in, in the introductory phase of this book. So we really need to try to understand what's going on here. First of all, it is thought that Vashti was not actually her legitimate name. Many people, scholars think that Vashti is what they called her because of the definition of the word. Vashti means the best or desired. So you could also say that this queen was the Vashti. Does that make sense? She was the best and that's why she was queen. Now this was the best according to the Persian king standards, obviously. And so it's thought that this is why she's called this because there was no one who could outmatch her in regards to whatever it is that the king desired. She was truly the best, therefore also highly influential. I don't know if you've noticed, but if someone is presumed to be the best, we try to be like that person, right? And so Queen Vashti is of great influence. And so this also, uh, the, the, this, this 
probable reality, again, it's not 100% confirmable, leads several commentators to believe that Vashti um, was likely Queen Amestris, who is mentioned in the history books. And these personalities do have a lot in common. The way that the Bible describes Vashti and the way that history describes Queen Amestris. Now, it's possible that these are the same. I'm not going to tell you that this is 100% certain because I don't know that. This is just the clues that we have. It makes sense, okay? So I'm gonna share it to you in that regard. Regardless, we know the queen as Vashti. We have what we have. This is what we need, okay? Now, here's what else we know about Vashti. She was, again, extremely influential. She was also beloved by the Persian kingdom, and she was also beloved by the king. The king actually loved his wife, as far as people know. Uh, she was very similar to Queen Victoria of, the, of, of Great Britain. So if Vashti did something, everyone else did something too. So you could see the, the weight of the influence that this woman, woman held. And so with that in mind, let's turn to Esther chapter 1. We'll continue uh, in verse 10, and we'll look through verse 22 today. So read along with me, Esther chapter 1, verse 10 through 22. It says this, On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Bizda, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abagtha, Zethar and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of, the, of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown, in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs, and at this the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure to all who were versed in law and judgment, the men next to him being Karshena, Shethar, Amatha, Tarshish, Miris, Marsena, and Mamukon, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who saw the king's face at the, and sat first at the kingdom. Now, the king said to these wise men, according to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs? Then Mamukan said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all officials and all peoples who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all the women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day, the noble women of Persian media who have heard of the queen's behavior will say the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath and plenty. If the king, or if it please the king, the royal order go out from him, and let, be, let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all the kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. This advice pleased the king and the princes. 
and the king did as Mamukon proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be, be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Well, Jesus, thank you, Father, for your word. Well, we ask that you would reveal to us what it is that's going on here and the message that you have for us, for your, all of Scripture is profitable, Lord Jesus, to us, to our souls, for up, up, our upbringing in, Father, according to your will. And so, Lord, speak to us, help us understand the message that you have for us today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so what's going on here? The title of today's sermon is, A Dangerous Fool, The Lord's Providence. Did you catch that this Xerxes guy is not really in his right mind. Okay, so we're gonna call him the dangerous fool because he's got a lot of power, right? However, the Lord's providence will see through this that the Lord is ever present, always present everywhere at all times. Amen. Well, the king had way too much to drink. He's drunk and in that state of mind, he makes a tremendous demand. And that's the first thing I wanna see today is number one, the king's drunken demand. Let's look again at verse 10 and 11. It says this, on the seventh day, remember this is the end of the after party. The first party was six months long. And so this is the last day of the seventh day after party. And so you can imagine how goodness what is even the right word wasted he is okay he's at the end of the seventh day when the heart of the king was merry with wine that's what it means he was drunk he commanded his seven eunuchs to bring queen vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty for she was lovely to look at now there's a lot of speculation here it seems that this demand was more than meets the eye. Specifically saying that he commanded that Queen Vashi would come literally just wearing that royal crown. And so the purpose of this is that the, the main officials, those leaders of Persia and media, would actually be able to see her. Now, now the word here that says for, uh, for, for, in order to show is actually the word examine. And so it wasn't just something to look at, but something for them to actually enjoy, right? This is a really crazy demand. You think about this for a husband to ask of his wife, especially someone who is this, who's held at high honor. You would think this is radical. This is truly something that he wasn't thinking about, right? And so this is what's going on. And so I have a little bit of advice for you guys, for all of us, and this is it. Do not make high demands or large decisions while intoxicated. Better yet, don't get drunk, ever. You know, the Bible calls us to stay sober. It is sinful to get drunk. And so drunk people do dumb things. Can I get an amen? Okay, here's a quick little story. My wife and I were at this parking lot one night. This is before we were married, it was late. And uh, we were just, there was, a, there, was a, there was something going on, and so we're waiting in this parking lot, right? And there's a couple of drunk guys, the car wash right next to, she remembers it clearly. This is in Bakersfield, California, right there off White Lane and, and uh, something, I forget Bakersfield now. 
And anyway, this, these guys were so drunk, one of them comes up to his buddy and he says, let me punch you in the face. No, man. Whack. Ah, oh, my turn. Okay. Whack. Ah. Oh. Let me go again. Okay. Whack. And then the other, the first guy just kept going. He didn't give the other friend a turn anymore. Here's the thing though, these guys were clearly not fighting. They were clearly buddies hanging out on their own will, but they were hitting each other. They were completely out of their minds. These are drunken demands. Why would you do that to your friend, right? And so my wife and I are thinking, first, our heart's broken for the situation. And it's like, wow, can you imagine the next day, a hangover, and then they're gonna try to figure out what happened to their faces? Like, these are the kind of things that happen when we lose our sobriety. And so, therefore, it is sinful to get drunk because at that point, you have no self-control. Do you see that? And the Lord calls us to be self-controlled people. And so this, again, behavior, this demand that we see from Xerxes, not clever at all. In fact, far from it. Look what Romans 13, 13 through 14 instructs us today. Let's walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness, nor in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the call to the Christian, to exercise that self-control, to not make provision for sinful behavior, and to put on the Lord Jesus who is constantly sanctifying us, meaning he is making us more and more like him. So clearly this is not what the Persians lived by. In fact, uh, Karen Jobes, who's a PhD professor of, the New, of New Testament Greek and uh, Greek exegesis says this, she writes this, that the Persians saw drinking and decision-making differently. This was a cultural thing. She says, they believed, the Persians believed that those who imbibed spirits could come clo into closer contact with the spiritual world and possibly receive helpful counsel. The Persians may have also employed decision make, a decision-making strategy that including alternating between drunkenness and sobriety, and then they would deliver a decision based on which mental state they were in. And so this was actually part of the deciding practice for the Persians, which I think is insane, right? You may think that this is a good idea because sometimes it may feel good to be out of your mind. Trust me, this is not a good idea. I think you guys know that. And so Xerxes, while he was drunk, he decided he would continue to show off his stuff. He continues in this show off session by bringing out his wife for all to examine, to inspect. No one at the party said, uh, sire, king, uh, this is probably a bad idea. Why not? No one said, uh, king, you probably shouldn't bring Vashti who is a high figure of importance out here in a room full of drunken, power-hungry guys. Now, here's what would have happened, and, and, and I'm just going to, 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 to inform you guys. In these situations, it was common that those examinations went beyond the eyes, and you would have something extremely sinful, okay? This is the kind of situation that Xerxes was calling his wife into, and none of these leaders said, red flag, guys, it is important to know who we're with. It is important to say, hey, you're probably not a good influence. I shouldn't be around you, okay? And so no one calls the king out. Everyone's kind of in agreement with this. And instead, what happens is the king sends his eunuchs. By the way, eunuchs are servants of the kings. 
They're castrated men actually for the purpose so that there'd be no shenanigans with those that they protect or they serve, okay? And so they send these, these guys, he sends these guys to call Vashti, seven of them. And so of course the eunuchs respond with an obedient, sir, yes, sir. And they get to Queen Vashti and she says a resounding no. Hmm, interesting. You would say, yeah, go Vashti. I'm with you 100%. The next thing I want to look at is the second point that I have today, and that's the queen's defiance. Let's examine that part. So verse 12, it says this, But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. Now, if Vashti was Queen Amestris, as described by the Greek historian that actually accounted for a lot of these events, then history tells us that she had a reputation of being ruthless, powerful, and a very influential queen, which is what I tell you that what history says actually kind of flows with what Vashti's showing here. Now, this is the kind of attitude that she had, the kind of disposition that she had. So it explains why Vashti also would give a feast to the woman because she was super influential, super forward with people, very, uh, very comfortable in a position of leadership. And so the king's demand think about this, must really have been worth defying. Because Vashti knew the law. Vashti was well acquainted with the fact that Xerxes was the most powerful king in the world of the time. And so this no was not a thoughtless no, because she clearly understood that this was consequentially death. You know, this would essentially lead to her punishment. And so why would Vashti say no? Why would she defy the king's command because it was worth doing? There's something about it that I'm, not, I'm just not gonna go through that. Have you ever said, man, I'd rather die than go through that, right? This is the kind of situation that Vashti might've been in. And so again, we don't have a lot of information as to why Vashti actually refused to comply. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter. So there's a lot of theories out there. Some people say, she might have been pregnant, so she didn't want to go. She didn't like the situation. Who knows? We, the, the fact of the matter is that the Bible just tells us what it tells us, and that's what we need to know. And so what we need to know is that Vashti refused. She said no. Okay, so how often do we sometimes consider uh, certain demands in our culture, in our society, or from our leaderships to be outrageous? Now, I don't know about you, but I live in a time and day so do you guys, by the way, where I feel that to be the case. I feel like leadership is losing their ever-loving minds. You know what I mean? And I'm trying to make sense of what's going on, and the conclusion is this stuff doesn't make sense. A lot of this doesn't make sense. And so sometimes we beg the question, where are you, God? Like, God, are you seeing this? Are you in this? The quick answer is, yeah, he's in it. He sees it. And he's also allowing it. In fact, he's orchestrating everything. Now, the Bible tells us that every person who is an authority was established by the Lord himself. And so the fact that we have the leaders who seem to be a little bit crazy at times, that's still the Lord's will, which is amazing to think about. We would say, why? But the fact of the matter is that God is using these little pieces for the good of those who love him for his glory. He's doing something amazing. He's ever present, always present in every circumstance. And so again, he's not distant from this situation. God knows exactly what's going on. And so Vashti refused to come at the king's command. And the Bible tells us that at this king, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. And of course, 
Displaying her beauty was not all about Vashti at all. It was all about Xerxes. And so this is why Xerxes becomes enraged because he's already shown everything off. Think about it. He's already showed everything, his kingdom, his glory, his power. Guys, this is the, the grand finale. You know, Fourth of July is coming up. You get your fireworks. You usually see those that are like the grand finale. Those are the big ones, the best ones, right? And so this is essentially what Xerxes is doing. He's bringing out his grand finale, which is Vashti herself, the best. And she says, no. Oh, the rage. Oh, no one defies this king except Vashti just did. And so he is losing his mind. No one says no to this guy. I bet you he doesn't even know what it's like to be told no. Think about that. And so he is enraged. And so hence the upcoming question that he asks here. What should we do with Vashti? That's the third uh, thing that I like to focus on is the third thing that happens here is the, the foolish counsel that Xerxes receives. In fact, the foolish counsel that Xerxes finds himself in. Okay, verse 13 through 20, this is what happens. Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times. This is interesting because none of this looks or sounds like it comes from anybody wise, to be honest with you. But this is just the status that they held. And so what does it mean by who knew the times? Meaning that these men were knowledgeable in the affairs of the empire and how the king's decisions would affect the people. These were also the people who knew the laws. In fact, their responsibility was to uphold them. And so essentially, this is the, the best group that Xerxes has to ask this question. What should we do with Vashti? And it says there that for the king's procedure toward all, this is just process, who were versed in law and judgment, the men next to him being... Karshena, Shethar, Amatha, Tarshish, Miris, Marsena, and then there's Mamukan. He's the guy that we're going to focus here. They're the seven princes of Persia and Media who saw the king's face and they sat first in the kingdom. So they're actually able to witness the king's reaction to Vashti's defiance. And so what happens? Here's the advice. Here's the counsel that they bring. It says this, according to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs? Then Mamukan said to the, in the presence of the king and the officials, not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the people who are in the provinces of King Ahasuerus, for the queen's behavior will be known, made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, hey, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she did not come. This very day, the noble women of Persian media who have heard of the queen's behavior will say the same at the king's officials and they will be in contempt and wrath in plenty. In other words, Queen Vashti is so influential. And not only that, she's been hosting a group of women, the noble women there. Everyone has already seen what's happened. And so because of her influence, we're in trouble, Xerxes. Like, we got to do something here. And so here's the idea, because the last thing we want is for our wives and our women to disrespect us. You know, if we're going to be demanding of them, we would like for them to comply. This is what they're thinking. And so if your wife is not going to comply, much less will ours. And so you see the, the, the process, the mind, the, the, the wheels spinning in the wrong direction, obviously. And so it goes on and it says, if it please the king, let a royal order go out from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it may not be repealed, irrevocable. Here's another thing. Persian law, if it went, it went forever. There was... 
There is no erasing a law. In fact, if you wanted to get rid of something, you would have to be clever and create a new law to neutralize that law that went on. So here's the facts. If a Persian law gets passed, it is permanent forever, regardless of what king preceded that reign. Does that make sense? And so this is a big deal. So that it would never be repealed. It says that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus and let the king give her a royal position to another who is better than she. Underline that. Another who is better. So Vashti's not the best? What happened there? Well, she defied the king, so therefore she's no longer the best. Let's give her royal position to someone who is better than she. Now, this, this is fascinating for me because I'm thinking here, you know, uh, uh, these professional recommendations were clearly uh, people who didn't have discernment, who were looking for their selfish ambitions. These recommendations were something that really were caused because they want the reputation, they want the comfort, they want to be able to just have that position. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? And they're, now they're asking for someone who's better. Now, I don't know if you guys, you have, probably have heard of that, that submersible that went missing recently. Uh, I, I don't know everything, but this is what I had heard is that some engineer recommended that that vessel was unsafe. Did you hear that too? And so the CEO proceeded to go with those tours based on the influence of the rich and the wealthy and those who are powerful. Th did you catch the same story? Now this is what happens. Sometimes we make recommendations or sometimes we make decisions that are based more on influence rather than sanity, rather than what's good, what's great. And so that's why it's important to check who are those that are surrounding us. And so what's interesting, first of all, is that uh, these guys are now in a position where they want to replace Vashti. And so the counsel is get rid of her, never to be seen again. Now this is the king's wife. You know what I mean? But because he's not sane, he's thinking, yeah, that sounds great. You know, he's putting his foot down. He's, he's really going to, uh, uh, to, to, to make himself be known as the final authority, the final decision. And so foolish counsel, what does it result in? It results in foolish decisions. Wise counsel, however, makes good and true and truly helpful decisions. Now, in this case, this law was fabricated out of anger, out of anxiety, out of drunkenness, and based on fear that because women looked up to Vashti, all women would defy their husbands. First of all, gentlemen, I hope that you love your wives and you respect them for reasons other than they are inferior. I hope that you do not see your wives as inferior. I hope that you see them truly as a gift. See, my wife loves me and respects me and I can say that confidently. And she does that not because there's a law or because I force her to. She loves and respects me because I love and respect her too. I love and respect her too because she is a blessing from the Lord to me. She is a gift of God, something to be, to be uh, admired and cared for. I think of Adam when he's given Eve a helper so that he would not be alone, right? It's a beautiful thing. Now, why do we love though? Why do we respect? Because Christ loved us. That's ultimately the reason why we need to love one another. Wives, love your husbands, it says. Submit to one another. This is the will of the Lord. Now, why? Because this is what the Lord has expressed to us. We do what we do because He, our Creator, our Designer, did that first. And so it's very important to find that place where we're loving simply because we were loved too. 
You know, this is what we need to do. And so we don't need a law. We don't need someone to help us force our wives into submission. All right. If you're there, we need to have a conversation because there's truly biblical ways to go about this. But how but th in this case, Xerxes is saying, yeah, I need a law because everyone's going to be out of hand. And we obviously have not earned the respect of our wives. It's just a powerful power that we possess. And so this is the drunken demand. This is the counsel that uh, uh, Xerxes is given. And so we just need Jesus. That's what we need. That's where our love is fueled from. That's where we need to really move into. And so Mimukan goes into advice that the Queen Vashti would never again come before the king. And it says this in verse 19, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. Now, although Mamukan and Xerxes are operating in foolishness, here's what I really, really want us to see. God's moving. God's a part of this. And I'll show you how. And so Mamukan most likely meant by saying another who is better than she to mean someone more beautiful, someone who is more obedient because Vashti is not. And so we need someone who's better than she, someone who is a better influence because look what Vashti has done and now everyone's gonna copy her. And now we're, all of our wives are gonna defy us all for their benefit. So someone who is better than she so that we benefit from that. That's essentially what they're saying. But look at, look at how God moves. Little did they know, if anything, that God was also part of this and probably thinking the same thing. That Vashti would in fact be replaced by another who is better than she. But in the Lord's eyes, someone more beautiful meaning in heart and faith. Someone more obedient to the Lord and his will. Not to man's, right? A better influence in that God's people would essentially and eventually be delivered or preserved by this person who is better than Vashti. Now, do you see how the Lord is gearing up to set something in motion that could not have happened if it weren't for this drunken time, this drunken demand, this crazy uh, act of defiance, right? This silly counsel. God's moving. He's putting the pieces together and he's going to bring someone who essentially is going to deliver Israel from this condemning work that will happen here. If you don't know the rest of the story, what they're going to try to do is kill all the Israelites. That's what they're going to try to do. But God is setting the stage so that there's another person in influence there that would do and walk according to his will. And so it's okay that things are a little bit crazy. It's okay that people make weird decisions sometimes we cannot lose hope we cannot lose heart and we cannot say that God is not in it God is always in it he's always doing something and so he's doing something with you with me for such a time as this that's essentially what's going on God is still in control he's absolutely moving so what happens next well this is our fourth and final section and we'll uh, close it thereafter here the king's foolish decision. And so he decides, verse 21, it reads, this advice pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Mamukan proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in his own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master in his own household, and to speak according to the language of his people. That's interesting. Xerxes passed this law. He decided on a law based on social pressure. That's essentially what happened here. This wasn't his idea. This was entirely social pressure. He was told that the fear is that Vashti's behavior will become an example across the empire. So king, put your foot down. And so the king deploys the foot. 
The foot is down. The foot is down. I love this scene, by the way. <laughs> and it's, go to your room, right? And in this case is, send the letter out. Wow. What kind of authority? Wow. Like, wow, this authority is amazing. Everyone's going to hear this. The, put has, the king has put his foot down. What a truly, truly terrible situation for such a powerful king. This is now another bit of evidence that truly only God is awesome. This man just showed tremendous weakness. This man just showed the reality that he is truly not the one who is in control. But God, however, is in control. Now, Psalm 1-1 tells us, Happy is the man, or blessed is the man, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Xerxes needed wise counsel in this situation. He needed someone to truly share with him something from Proverbs. For example, Proverbs 1.10, My son, if a sinner entices you, do not consent. This is why it's so important to be so familiar with the Word of God, so that when we are enticed by people who walk and practice things against the Lord's will, we would know and we would not consent. Now, remember, Xerxes was really drunk when this happened, and so he made a demanding, uh, a demeaning demand of his wife, and then he went from being proud and wanting everyone to see her to never seeing Vashti again. He lost Vashti. Did he... Uh, react much? Yeah. Was he influenced much? Yeah. It was a bad time to make a big decision. And uh, he was around the wrong people, certainly. Now, another quick little story. After Sandy's surgery, most of you guys know that Sandy went through surgery. Her doctor calls me and she says she's doing great. Hey, don't let her sign anything. Okay? She can't sign a single thing. Don't let her make any big decisions right now. Okay, because that anesthesia is kicking in and then the medication, she's not gonna be in her sound mind. So make sure she doesn't say, you got it boss, that's a great, that's great advice. Don't let her sign anything, don't let her make big decisions, no, no nothing, right? She said, make her rest because she's gonna wanna do things. Okay, I got it. Why does she say that? Because when we're not in our right minds, we sometimes end up falling into dumb decisions and these dumb decisions cost us gravely, right? And so this is good advice. If you're sedated, after you've been sedated, or if you're taking medication, don't make big decisions and don't sign contracts. Got it? Okay. First Corinthians chapter 15, 33 through 34 says this, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunk stupor as it is right and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. This is Paul to the church of Corinth, who was constantly being deceived, who was constantly being corrupted by the people who were with him. He says, bad company, and he's quoting the Proverbs in this time, corrupts good morals. So who are our friends? Who are those who surround us? And what kind of influence are we also? We think that we're the only ones who influence, but what kind of influence are you as well is something to consider. So what does all of this teach us? Here's the thing. God will use human foolishness and rebellion to achieve his purposes. God is in it. He's in it. He is not limited with who he will use for his glory. Second thing is, like Xerxes, God is also offended and dis disrespected by our disobedience. Now, this disobedience that Vashti, uh, 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 or let's say, shared with, um, responded to Xerxes was highly offensive to him. 
God is also offended by that. Why was it highly offensive to Xerxes? Because he was the person who was considered to have the greatest power in all of the world at the time. And so someone to defy him was this truly disrespectful uh, act of disobedience and disrespect. God truly is the most powerful being. And he truly is the only one who's worthy of all honor and glory. Amen. Only he is truly awesome. So therefore, when we defy him, when we disrespect him, he is also offended by that. But he has got every right to be offended from our disobedience because he's good. He's God. He's creator of all things. All things belong to him. But here's the difference, though, is how he responds. He grants us more grace than Xerxes ever granted Vashti. Xerxes couldn't even do it, you know, but God grants us more grace than, than we ever even have granted anybody else. This is beautiful. You think about this. I want to take you to Romans really quick. This will be good for us. It says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we are justified. That means we are made, we're made okay. We're made right. We've been clean slated, right, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, meaning a substitute, meaning a sacrifice, someone to take your place by his blood to be received by faith. That was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. God had every right to condemn this. God had every right to say, I never want to see that person ever again in regards to us. But he justifies us in the sense that there is propitiation, meaning he does it. He continues to be just because part of an attribute, one of the attributes of God is just. He is just. And so he does not cease being just. In fact, he actually exercises wrath and his punishment on Jesus, who is the substitute. And so that's why Jesus is a big deal. That's why we're able to live, you know, kind of relaxed because he's taken on that judgment, that punishment that was due to us. And we have been justified by grace, by faith. That's not fair. That's not fair. See, Xerxes didn't exercise one bit of this and God exercises grace on us. That's beautiful. That's love. And that's why we love and that's why we're gracious because he's gracious and loving and kind to us undeservingly. Now, Therefore, without God's grace, we are all like Xerxes. And so we might sometimes read something like this and we think, man, Xerxes was a dog, right? Like how crazy is that? Like who would do such a thing? We would all do such a thing if it weren't for his grace, if it weren't for the love that Christ has extended to us. And so again, the truth is, if it weren't for Christ, we too would continue to be sinful and hurtful. We would, our actions would be despicable. But God has set us from slavery of sin, from being slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, to being as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification, which is to be made more like him. And so here's another just general truth. When accountability is absent or when we're surrounded by bad company, rebellion prevails over repentance. So probably should check ourselves today. Is there something that I need to repent? Is there some company that I need to really reconsider? Or maybe I need to be that better influence with those around me. Because when we boast, God will humble us. I can guarantee you that. That's been my life experience forever. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
you know, what happened to Jesus was very similar to this circumstance. Think about it. Jesus was innocent by every measure. <laughs> I love that. And, um, and so what they do to, to Jesus is truly despicable. It's truly like, what would you, why would you do that with such an innocent person? And I bet you that the disciples with Jesus at the time, just considering the situation, are thinking, God, why are you allowing all this to happen? Like, this is, this is your son. This is the Messiah. Why are you allowing these religious leaders to be foolish like this with him? This was all part of his plan. He's moving. He allowed it, and Christ knew that himself. He knew that he would have to be taken like a lamb to the slaughter. And so even though things look terrible, even though things look gloomy and dark, even though we think, oh my goodness, we're being ruled by dummies, God is still in it because ultimately he is the one who's sovereign. Xerxes wasn't sovereign. Nobody here in this world is sovereign. God is sovereign, meaning he reigns. And so if he reigns, everything that happens thereafter will ultimately glorify him. And for those who are of the redeemed, we are satisfied by him, regardless of whatever is going on in our world around us. And that's beautiful. That's good. And he deserves all glory and honor because, man, he's such a good, sovereign, holy God. Amen. And so I've given you a lot of takeaways on this, but I have one final one just to kind of button it up. God will not only allow righteousness, foolishness, and rebellion, he will also use it for his glory. It's God's power that's absolute. His power trumps any man's pomp. If you think you're big and bad, you are nothing compared to the one who made you. No one is sovereign, only he is. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, we're just comforted by it knowing that you are in control of all things, regardless of what it may seem. We know that you are in control and that you use even foolishness and wretchedness to bring about your purposes. And so, Lord, first, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you that while we were still yet sinners, that Christ died for us and that you exercised the grace and mercy and compassion over us rather than just destructive a destructive reaction to what was surely rightfully deserved. But we ask you that you would continue to forgive us, that you would continue to sanctify us, Lord Jesus, according to your will and your, and your love, Father, that we too would reflect you, Father, in a way where people would see you. For we are perhaps the only glimpse that some have of who you are. So help us respond in love and kindness and grace, Lord Jesus, as you have for us. We trust you. We know that you're moving and all things are governed and ruled by you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.